Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I'm pleased to feature Nigel Freeman, the director of the African-American Fine Art Department at Swan Auction Galleries in New York City. He founded the department in the fall of 2006 and since then has set numerous auction records for important African-American artists, which include John Biggers, Elizabeth Catlett, Buford Delaney, Faith Ringgold, and Carrie Mae Weems, just to name a few. The department has held the single owner auctions of the estate of Dr. Maya Angelou and the collections of the Golden State Mutual Life Insurance Company, along with the Johnson Publishing Company, which was Swan's first white glove auction. Outside of Swan, Nigel is a print appraiser on the PBS television show Antiques Roadshow, and he has lectured on the subject of African-American art at several institutions, including the Studio Museum in Harlem, and he has been interviewed by such magazines as The New Yorker, The Wall Street Journal, the BBC, and NPR, among others. I am delighted to feature Nigel and the fine work he does at the Swan Auction Galleries. Welcome, Nigel. I'm so excited to feature you today on my podcast. Um, I think, I know, I'm very interested to understand how the whole auction process works. It's new to me. So let's dive into you and your role and accomplishments at the SWAN. Well, thank you, Phyllis. Uh, first of all, um, it's wonderful to join you on your podcast, and I'm excited to talk to you today. Thank you. Yeah, this is great. Um, so my beginning in the art world and the art market um, is, is untraditional as far as um, backgrounds go at auction houses. Um, and everyone's journey is different, so it is, it is interesting to see uh, how I got involved in this business and also the beginnings of, of our department. Um, and so I, I've been at Swan Galleries now for over 20 years. Um, and I came to Swan um, way back in 1997. Um, I was uh, first coming out of school... I studied visual art and um, I worked uh, as a visual artist and painting and printmaking, but I certainly had an art history background, having studied uh, many art history courses um, in my undergraduate and um, graduate degree. Um, I have an MFA degree from Columbia University and um, also studied history 
um, as an undergraduate as an additional studio art. So um, I had some of the academic background, but um, I was working and practicing as an artist. And so that familiarity with um, how things are made, what's involved in uh, an aquatint etching, um, how do you stretch a canvas, all those things have, have given me an interesting perspective. And I'm also familiar with how you know, artists work and um, what's it, some of the pressures and how their how their work evolves and those sorts of things that you don't necessarily learn in a classroom. And so um, it's been interesting now. Um, I've been in the art auction world uh, for a lot longer, and um, I've been lucky to be in a place where we were able to develop this department, um, and I had sort of come to that place by by being in New York, being at an auction house like Swan Galleries, having a certain background, uh, and also being part of a, a community of artists, knowing um, something about the history of African-American art and knowing African-American artists, being familiar with some of the artists at the beginning, but of course uh, I've learned a lot since, but um, that initial curiosity and passion um, got me started. I can, I can go back a little bit in time if you like. Yes, yes, please. Yeah, so I, I was um, working at Swan in the, what was our, our major, um, it's, our, it's our largest art department. Uh, and Swan is, a, is an old auction house. I should say a little bit about Swan. It's over 70 years old. Um, it's a family business and was first built um, out of the book trade uh, for, by booksellers who created an auction for books. And um, I was fortunate to join Swan back in 97, just as it was expanding its art departments. And that was, and has been a very large area of growth. So uh, it's a small auction house. It's, it's really, a, it specializes and works on paper, prints and drawings, photography, vintage posters and books before, before we started African-American Fine Art. And it gave me the opportunity to do many things instead of just working in one narrow field or just having a limited experience at one of the larger houses. At Swan, you do everything. So I was, a, I was uh, an installer, I was a registrar, I learned how to catalog and, became, and became a specialist. Um, with a great amount of experience and a great amount of visual experience in the sense that I saw a lot. I, I did a lot and I saw a lot. And those experiences really shaped my opinion of um, the art world uh, what, and, and the art market. Um, so there were just many advantages to start at a smaller auction house. Uh, and basically, I grew with Swan. So by by the mid '90s, um, our works on paper departments had really grown. Uh, we had expanded. Uh, we had added a floor, and I was um, the associate director, working with uh, my colleague, who's still the director there now, um, in the works on paper department. And Really, uh, the thing that, that really started it all, the, the, the opportunity that presented itself was um, in 1995, uh, as I was working in the Works on Paper department, we um, had a letter from a state attorney for a collection of work by Romare Bearden. And we had sold um, some works by Romare Bearden, 
but um, this was really exciting. This was uh, a letter from the estate of a writer, Harry Henderson, um, and I knew that name. Uh, I, I have, uh, it's actually my wife's book, which I had enjoyed reading and looking at, um, A History of African-American Art. It's a large sort of coffee table book, and it's one of the first sort of modern histories of African-American art that was widely published. And it was written by Harry Henderson, who is a writer, with Romare Bearden. And um, so I knew who Harry Henderson was, and because of his close relationship with Romare Bearden, he had a fantastic collection. Um, he had uh, in his estate uh, two collages, a large abstract painting, uh, a large group of works on paper prints by Romare Bearden. And uh, it wasn't a big collection, but, but it was significant. And the, the collages were of such quality that they were actually touring in a retrospective that Romare Bearden had at that time at the National Gallery, which was curated by Ruth Fine, who's an exceptional curator and has been a big force in, in bringing up the, the survey and art historical um, treatment for artists like Romare Bearden. Also, she organized the Norman Lewis retrospective um, that, that was about five or six years ago now. So she, she, um, she had included these two collages. So uh, it was exciting. And uh, I went to see the estate. Um, to make a long story short, um, we got the material. And around that group of about a dozen pieces, I was able to find another 10 or so, enough to create actually a section focused on African-American artists that we put in a catalog featuring important modern post-war, um, or just modern 20th century artists. So um, in a catalog that might have um, a print by Matisse or Picasso, we had this section of African-American artists. And, um, That's great. That's great. It was, yeah, it was, it was, it was sort of, we needed, you know, it was, it was something that had to open this market up because honestly, well, as the market had really ignored this this area before. Bef before our department was founded in 2007, there were very few African-American artists that you could regularly expect to find at the, at the major houses. So you, yes, you could see Romeo Bearden and Jacob Lawrence and, um, on occasion, um, maybe a Henry Asawa Tanner painting in an American art sale, but very few and infrequently, and everything else came up very infrequently, um, just out of estates um, and not in any kind of organized fashion. Uh, people weren't consigning works to sell at auction. Auction was not the way to sell. At that point, it was through a group of galleries and dealers who specialized in African-American art. The auction market had just completely ignored this and was um, happy in their ignorance. They, they, there was a sort of a sentiment that if something did not have an auction uh, estimate or value, if there was not a record, then, then it didn't have value. But if you knew the history of African-American art, you knew that there were so many fabulous African-American artists who had not had significant auction records. And the list was very long at that point. Um, you know, artists like Norman Lewis and Charles White, Elizabeth Catlett from the first generation, or more modern artists like 
Sam Gilliam or Faith Ringgold, who we mentioned earlier, they had very few, if any, auction records. So going back to 2005, when we got this Henderson collection, we were really beginning uh, a journey where we were introducing to the market um, significant African-American artists, establishing auction records for them, which are very important because they are public prices. Anyone can look them up on the internet. And um, it, so it was establishing new, new price levels for, for many artists and establishing you know, a beginning of broadening the market. So I just have a question about the pricing. I mean, do you mm -hmm. recall, the, uh, was it a gradual impact on pricing, immediate impact on pricing in terms of price appreciation? Oh, it had an immediate impact. I mean, I think, um, first of all, collectors were excited about this Henderson collection. So the two Romare Beardens um, that we offered, they were small collages, um, but they both brought um, set new auction records for Romare Bearden. Um, and so right away, we established a new price uh, level for a major artist. And um, this was one of the artists who, who had some auction history at the houses uptown. So we, we really uh, got people's attention. And uh, especially, as I was saying, people who were looking to sell because they knew the, that there was much higher value for these works. Um, collectors were coming out and saying, uh, you know, we, we want to sell. They, they, they needed something to show them that the market would respond. And so this kind of created that moment. And, and so, um, we did a, so we did this one section in the fall of 2005. And uh, based on that success, we got two more beard and collages. <laughs> so we did it again in the spring of 2006. And again, they did very well, um, setting the same price level. Um, and, and at that point, I was beginning to be approached by collectors. And collectors were saying, well, oh, these, these are good prices. Um, are you doing African-American auctions? I'd like to consign this, or I have that. And um, we got a, a, approached by a couple of quite large collections. So the opportunity presented to itself that we could step into this market and even create a department for um, African-American fine art. And, and based on, on the success of those two sales and the kind of material we were being offered, we did that. And so we announced the department in the fall of 2006, and we had a first auction in February of 2007. And um, yeah, immediately there were significant changes. Um, so, the first year we had two two big sales. Um, we did a first one in February, and um, it was it was very exciting. Uh, back then, uh, we didn't know what to anticipate, so we we actually ran out of the printed catalog. We hadn't anticipated the demand, um, wow. so they sold out before the auction, and the auction itself was so crowded that we. We have two floors at Swan, so we had to have an overflow seating section on our uh, in, a, in a smaller auction room on the sixth floor. And um, yeah, it was very exciting. And it, it struck a chord with, with collectors, with museums, because um, the whole idea um, 
around my department was to build sales around African-American artists, significant artists, and um, increase not just their sales prices, but their significance and the range and uh, the information that was included in our sales to really kind of expand this as an area of collecting. Wow, that's fantastic. So question for you. So how, what is the process of working with an auction house if you're, say, a buyer or a seller? That's a good question. And um, it is unfamiliar territory still for for many people. Of course, um, since the 90s, uh, people are now used to buying things online and bidding on eBay and other online auctions. But when it comes down to consigning it, um, it is is a different process. Um, We are, um, when you have something to consign, we can usually respond to um, an email inquiry with pictures and a description. But basically, we're, we are being contacted now um, by various different people based on our sales history. Um, and um, we have relationships with collections and people that we've been selling for a long time. Uh, we also have uh, connections to artists, families, and estates, and people with larger holdings that we've been selling um, for them over a period of time. So it really depends, but most people may have, like, say, a work you inherited from a family member or, um, you know, a lucky find you, you found in an estate sale. And um, we give clients... Um, a sense of what the market is. We, we give them our interest and give them a preliminary auction estimate, which is sort of what you see in catalogs. That's sort of the pricing for, for all auctions. So the auction estimate gives clients a sense of what we, what we feel we can achieve. It's also a guide for buyers for their bidding. Um, and we give them a proposal with a set of selling terms, um, a commission structure, which is based usually on the value of the work. So auction houses tend to charge less the more valuable the artwork is for the consigner. And they can um, take in the work and we, we pres- it's a consignment basis. So we're obviously we're not buying the work outright. We're, we're acting as agents for the consigner mm-hmm. and selling it on their behalf. And auction houses... Um, do this all the time. Um, it's, it's, it's the primary business at Swan. Um, auctions is, is what we're all about. Um, we, we take a material year round um, and auction houses need enough time to organize the sales, um, do the photography and cataloging. So there's usually about a three month um, deadline before each sale. And so the work is, um, either shipped to us or brought to us. We kind of finalize the work after we've inspected it. Um, and then we have um, an agreement with the consigner. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a, so we have a relationship with the, the seller. And then we also have um, a relationship with the buyer. So we're, we're dealing with two different kinds of clients. But it's, it's, a, it's a, for consigners, um, we're, Swan is a very accessible place we you can get us on the phone you can come in and see us uh, of course 
right now that's just <laughs> beginning to start again by appointment only, but we are, we are, that's we good. are accessible. And, um, the, the great thing about working at Swan is all the specialists are very passionate about the work that we handle. We know it very intimately, but we're also very much a sort of students of our field. So we're always learning and looking at more material. And uh, the more you know, the more you see, the more you can compare. Um, and so, you know, so for example, the, you know, the first time you see, you handle, um, you know, uh, let's say a Hell Woodruff painting, um, it's very exciting, but after you've seen a range of the work, we establish levels and we establish what things are uh, relative to others. So that's um, the benefit now that we have because we've been doing this for almost over 13 years. And so we've sold many, many artists and many different works by those artists. So we have kind of a good firm background. We figured out how much the market can accept uh, of a certain artist, you know, they're sort of curated sales. It's a selection where we put together a relatively small auction, um, about 150 lots twice a year. Twice a year, okay. And and what's the most exciting, exhilarating auction that you can remember? Oh well, we've had some uh, recently. Uh, <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, I've been fortunate. Um, we we just had a very exciting sale um, this January. Um, and we, we've had a, a, a few of these single owner collection sales that were significant enough, um, to do as a single sale, you know, usually, you know, an auction is, is dozens of consigners to make up enough property to, to be enough value to do a sale. But we've had some really interesting, important culturally um, some collections that became sales. So in January, um, we had the art collection of the Johnson Publishing Company um, from Chicago. Nice. And that was a really exciting sale. Um, it was a group of work of primarily from the 1970s when the company was founded and the, the offices were open. A collection of contemporary artists were, were, were put together to give the sort of the, the company uh, a collection and, and they decorated the walls. So um, we had this sale in um, on January 25th and um, you know, sadly the Johnson publishing company was in bankruptcy proceedings. So um, this was what was left of the company. Uh, they'd already sold their very important photo archive. So this wasn't the, this wasn't the material that was found in Ebony and Jet magazine, the pictures that was sold to a consortium of museums. This was the art that was that were in the offices of uh, the company. And it ranged from everything from Henry Osawa Tanner to Carrie Mae Weems, but it was largely a, a group of um, artists from the 70s who really had very few auction records. So. Mm. It was it was great fun for me because it kind of took me back to 2007 and <laughs> and those early years when when there were few auction records and appraising uh, and valuing the work was was difficult and, and it was it was exciting and heartening to get another group of material 
in this field uh, that still was sort of uncharted territory. And it just goes to show how much great work by African-American artists it has still not been really appreciated in the art market. Um, how did the auction go? Well, it was exciting because it all sold. Everything, <laughs> was, huh? That's fantastic. Yeah, we sold, we sold 87 lots. And, and, and in the auction world, that's called a white glove sale. And um, so that was the first time it had happened at Swan Galleries. Um, and it, it did, it, it was just a fantastic auction and sort of a perfect storm of material um, of, you know, significant, well-known artists, anchor pieces. Um, I mentioned Tanner and Karen May Weems, but other artists like Richard Mayhew and um, just just um, a great group of material like Elizabeth Catlett and then other artists who, who were really being discovered for, by, by, well, rediscovered, I should say, by, by collectors today. Um, some artists who had no auction history. Um, and so... That was that was um, that was very exciting, um, yeah. and we've had some. So we've had some of those big sales. Um, we've also sold the collection of the estate of Dr. Maya Angelou. Um, we did that five years ago, and that was a significant sale. Um, and our first year, our second sale was the collection of the Golden State Mutual Life Insurance Company, a very important historic collection. From Los Angeles, so um, we do sales regularly, but we also have been fortunate enough to have some very exciting collections. Yeah, this has been great. So I know I could talk to you forever, but I have to <laughs> ask you. So our final question: So what what is popular now? Where do you see the most interest? Well, the art market has changed a lot um, in the last three to five years. And um, there's some changes that are happening and that have parlayed into the work that we sell. I mean, first of all, the market for African-American fine art has become so bigger, so broader, more international. And um, so we may have collectors calling from really around the, the globe now. Um, wow. Part of that is because so many significant American contemporary artists are African-American. So part of that explosion of the contemporary art market has resulted in exposure to African-American artists. And then some of the important historical shows recently, like the Charles Wyatt exhibit or um, Soul of a Nation that's still traveling here um, that originated at the Tate Modern. But to get back to your question, some of the exciting things have been the really, um, development of some of the art artists who had careers in the in the 60s and 70s post-war artists who significant uh, artists specifically women artists who were working in non-traditional areas i mentioned faith ringgold earlier but we've also had um, a, a big dramatic uh, uptick in the markets for artists like emma amos who uh, who's a peer, a contemporary Faith Ringgold, and uh, Dingo McCannon, who was on the cover of our Johnson Publishing collection. Um, those artists who were working in painting, but also with collage and, and untraditional forms, um, 
both Emma Amos and Faith Ringgold are, are famous for their unstretched hanging canvases. Um, their work has, has increased uh, as far as their stature and their value. Uh, it's been really significant. They're, they're, they're so deserving. I mean, they're, they're wonderful artists. Um, Emma Amos has recently passed away, but, but Faith Ringgold and Jinga McCannon are still, still going strong. And um, so we've been really, it's been a thrill to be a part of that. Um, of course, um, there are many other contemporary artists who are very exciting. And, um, but the, I would, the, that's certainly been an area in general, um, the post-war area of collecting has really expanded for uh, also non-figurative artists. I mean, there's just been um, a huge development in the growth of artists who worked in the 60s and 70s. Um, of course, Sam Gilliam is, is the best known, but we've had other exciting artists like Kenneth Victor Young, for example, um, who was also from the Washington School, a color field painter, stained canvases from the 70s. And we've just seen, a, a, just in the last two years, a, a really dramatic rise in his market. So there's, there's been a lot of great um, sales and a lot of promising um, new, not necessarily new, but new to the market right. <laughs> artists that we're, we're developing at auction. That's wonderful. That's great. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. And I'm going to start spending more time on your website. <laughs> Thank you. Please do. Yeah, um, that's uh, one of the great things about auctions. Um, there's a lot of information on our website. Um, as I said before, all our prices are, are there. It's public information. So you can look up um, a past auction if you want to look at an entire sale that we had in the past. Or you can just type in the name of your favorite artist and see what their works are selling for at auction. Um, wow, that's so, wonderful. Great. And we also will um, you know, continue to do content online, talks and exhibitions um, until we're able to open again to the public. Well, thank you very much. This has been exciting and I appre appreciate the education. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, Phyllis. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. <laughs>